Hello, Christ Community Downtown. My name is Nathan. It's so good to be with you today, joining you on our online service. Glad that you are uh, tuning in with us. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to open God's Word for us today. And I want to I want to start by telling you about a time that I got to tour a mansion uh, with a realtor, and I was I was certainly not in the market for this place. Uh, but let me let me tell you a little bit about this house. It was it was unbelievable. It was fifteen thousand square feet. This house, okay, 19-foot ceilings on the main level, 14-foot ceilings in the basement, movie theater, seven-car garage, 12 bathrooms, 11 acres. There were his and her master bathrooms and master closets, bigger, I think, than my entire house. I mean, it's unbelievable. So why, why, was, why was I there? Well, it was back when we were looking for future homes, right, for our Shawnee and downtown campuses. And this mansion happened to be located in the Shawnee area. So, I mean, think about that. Big enough for a church. In fact, it's still on the market, and it's 60% off from $5 million all the way down to two. It is a steal. Why? Well, you see, they never finished it. They, they spent millions of dollars to build this house and, and then quit somewhere around 80% through. And I don't, I don't know why. It doesn't even really matter. I don't say any of this in judgment to this family. But now to be in that space, it almost feels haunted with, with regret, with disappointment, with grief over what could have been. In so many ways, this unfinished house is a bit of a living parable. Because Jesus says, this is the greatest threat to following me. It's not your pride, your anger, your lust, your greed, your apathy. It's not the people who are against you or the people who who happen to get in your way. This, Jesus says, is the greatest threat. Starting, but not finishing. It's, it's entering in without counting the cost or somehow believing that it's going to be cheap. It's going to be easy. And it's like an, an unfinished, unwanted, unhappy mansion. And nobody, nobody wants their life to look like that. It'll be beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, empty and unwanted. This, this mansion. And so here, here's our big question today. Can you afford to follow Jesus? Can you afford to follow Jesus? I know what some of you are probably thinking. I'm like, well, Nathan, of course I can, right? Jesus, like following him is, is free. And yes, it is free in, in the sense that you cannot earn it. And yet at the same time, it will cost you everything. Go ahead and open your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 14. Because in this part of Luke, Jesus is still sort of at the height of his career. And so his popularity is soaring and the crowds are all around him. But you see, there's a big difference between following Jesus from the crowds and truly following him. And if I were, if I were Jesus at this moment, I, personally, like I would be really tempted to like kind of, you know, like cool my jets just a little bit. Like don't, don't say anything too offensive. Like you got the crowds here. They, they're loving you. Like speak to them, Right. Pastors are often tempted to avoid uncomfortable things to keep a crowd, but not, not Jesus. In fact, for Jesus, is, he is the up, most upfront salesman I've ever seen. No, there's no like, fine print, there's no hidden fees here. He wants us to know the cost right up front. 
And listen again to what he says, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Yikes! Hate your family, hate your life, and then, yeah, sure, you can follow me, Jesus says. Now, now listen, a little, a little clarification here, because when, when Jesus uses the word hate, uh, we, uh, it kind of gets lost in translation a bit, because we often think of, of the emotion of, of hate, like disdain for another person, like scorn for them, but that's, that's not what Jesus means in that, in that culture. Culturally, this word is, is not so much about emotion, but about allegiance, not so much about love, but loyalty. It's about when you're forced to choose, and the reality is, like, you will be forced to choose, like between Jesus and X, and, you know, no matter what X is, and man, I really love X, and, and Jesus, he wants me to go over this direction, and I don't, I don't really want to go that way, but you choose to go with him anyway. That's, that's the idea here. So, can you afford to follow him? Because Jesus names two massive costs in these verses for us. Following him costs us our loyalty to others, and it costs us our loyalty to ourselves. Others and ourselves. In other words, becoming a Christian means every other loyalty in your life, every, every other allegiance, every, every other identity marker in your life and mine gets automatically demoted to second place because Jesus will only be first. And so first, Jesus will cost you your loyalty to others. And the most extreme example is right where Jesus goes, right? He, he points out uh, the, the identity marker or the, the loyalty we have with, with our families, right? That, that's the most extreme back then, and in many ways it still is for us today. But what he's saying is like when the time comes, not if, but when, you have to choose between loyalty to Jesus and loyalty to your family, who's it going to be? Jesus or my spouse? Jesus or my parents, Jesus or my kids. And I, and I know, like, some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, but Jesus would never make me choose between those things. And yet, when it comes to being generous or saving for my kids' education, when it comes to being faithful in attending worship on Sundays or spending brunch with that special person, when it comes to keeping the peace in my home, right? If, if you're married and just wanted to keep your spouse happy, right? And so you kind of look the other way about certain things. And again, not just family here. That's the extreme example Jesus points to. But we do this with our friends, our dating relationships, political parties, ideologies, movements, whoever our people are. Let me, let me even give a really live example uh, last week, I listened to a lecture uh, by a, a former pastor named Tim Keller. He was a pastor in, in New York City. 
And it was a lecture at, at Princeton uh, Seminary. And even though the lecture took place actually a couple years ago, it felt like it was written like for right now, this moment today. Because in this, this lecture, he points out that the, there are five things that the historic Christian church held to as non-negotiables when it came to justice morality. And they were all countercultural. But they, they would not waver on these things. These five things were so important. Okay, so five of them. First of all, they were unwavering in their commitment to the poor. It was a non-negotiable, and it was completely countercultural, but they were going to care for the poor. That was the first one. They were also unwavering in their commitment to multicultural communities for racial justice. Like, this was not something that they were going to fight about, and, and that was completely countercultural for them. And yet the church became the first place where multicultural communities, Jew and Gentile together, any kind of person could meet and gather. This was a non-negotiable for the early church. Another one, three, that they were committed uh, to a pro-life ethic. And even though abortion was less common in the first century, just medically speaking, it still happened, but it was less common, uh, what would often be the case is if you had an unwanted pregnancy, you would leave the infant out to die. And Christians, not only did they refuse to do this, they actually went out throughout their city looking for those babies and adopting them. And fourth, they were committed to a radical sexual ethic of one man and one woman for life. Like that was shocking then in the first century. It is shocking today, but that was the fourth thing. And then fifth, finally, they were committed to loving their enemies. They were not going to waver on this. And here, here's the point. Here's what I'm getting to. And, and this is what Keller points out, is that today in our culture, two of those things, you know, race and poverty, look a bit like one political party. And, and two of them you know, caring for the unborn and human sexuality look a little bit like another political party. And of course, the fifth one, loving your enemies, looks like just absolutely nobody today, right? And, and what he's getting at here is that we feel like in our culture, we have to choose. Do I, do I want to go with these two or do I want to go with those two? And Jesus is saying, like, don't choose. Like, that's, that is commitment to your ideology, that's not commitment to Jesus because Jesus wants all five. Church, you do not have to pick between those things. And if you are passionate about all five of those things right now, it'll cost you friendships and family tensions. Like you'll be berated on social media as a traitor. If you're a politician, you won't get elected. And if you're a pastor, people will leave your church. But you cannot pick and choose with Jesus. All of these are near to his heart. And again, this is just one example of the way we see this lived out today. But here, here's kind of the broader fatal assumption that I think we often make, and I myself included. We, we do this. We, we assume with any of our loyalties that, that Jesus came to, to take everything I already love, to take everything I already believe, to take everything that I'm already loyal to, and just sort of like sprinkle a little bit of holy water on it to kind of bless it, and then I could just move on and live my life. But the reality is what Jesus is saying his, here is that he came to blow up all of our loyalties, every one of them, and to replace them with himself. It's not that those other things are unimportant, but Jesus comes first. Have you counted the cost? Verse 28 for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Like an unwanted, unhappy, unfinished mansion, haunted with regret. Who are you loyal to? Well, that's the first thing. Our loyalty to others, but there's bad news because it's actually going to get harder, I think, for many of us. Because Jesus also wants your loyalty to yourself. And this is, this is equally difficult for us to enter into because we kind of live in a, in a society that says, you do you, right? Be true to yourself, follow your heart. And if I'm honest, most often I think if I'm going to be happy, it's because I'm going to be loyal to me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get it for myself. And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, skip down a little bit, does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now listen, Jesus created you for joy, for freedom, and for delight. And he came to this earth and he died and rose again to give that joy to you. And loyalty to yourself does not lead to ultimate joy and freedom. It leads to enslavement. Because you become a slave to your own desires and and whims, to whatever you feel like in the moment, which so often, you know it and I know it, right? We've been down this path. It so often leads to grief and to hurting the people that I love the most when I follow my desires. According to Jesus, true joy does not come when we find ourselves. It actually comes when we lose ourselves. When we take up our cross and say to Jesus, you are responsible for my happiness, not me. You are responsible for helping me understand my desires, not me. You are responsible to give me freedom. And that is terrifying, people. But that is the all or nothing, nothing life that Jesus calls us to. Think of it a little bit like this. I love, I love browsing at REI. And I, I, I kind of hate saying that because I don't, I don't even like to shop, first of all. And then I can't really afford anything in that store anyway. And yet I could spend hours, I have, just wandering the aisles, thinking about things that I didn't even know that I wanted, right? I, I love going there. And I, if, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I would love to own all of the clothes and all of the gear that it would take to climb Mount Everest. Ah, oh, gosh, that would be great, okay? I am never going to climb Mount Everest. I have no desire to. It's not even on my bucket list. I'm not going to do I just want to, I want to dress like it. I want to look like it, right? Or maybe, maybe think of it like this, like I can, I can stand in REI, right, and I can look at a rope and harness and think, yeah, I bet that could hold me. But it's a completely different experience when you're inching backwards off the edge of a cliff 100 feet off the ground. I actually did this for the first time about a month ago. I don't know what I was thinking, but it felt like death. But like that was the moment, like do I really trust this rope, Right? And Jesus is saying here, don't don't buy the gear unless you're ready to climb. Don't say that you trust the rope unless you plan on jumping. And the test for you and for me, the test of whether or not we trust the rope, whether or not we trust Jesus, is when we feel our desires pulling us in one direction and Jesus pulling us in another. We go with him. Will you Trust him to make those decisions for you. 
to be in charge of your happiness, your freedom, your joy. Can you afford to follow Jesus? Nathan, you're a terrible salesman, right? It's like, who would, why would we want to, right? I, I'm going to get that. Maybe you hear this and think, yeah, the cost is way too high. I'm out. But friend, and this is so important. Yes, the cost is high. But don't miss this. The cost of not following Jesus is so much higher. So the real question behind all of this is, can you afford not to follow Jesus? Because there's another sort of mini parable here in verse 31. Let me, let me read it for us a little bit. I think it adds a little texture to what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus continues right after the thing about the tower. Right? He says, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, well, the other is yet a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Okay, what he's, what he's getting at, like, I mean, the, the main point of these two, these two mini parables are, are, are the same, right? Like, don't build a tower you can't finish. Don't enter a war you can't win. Like, don't do that if you're completely outmatched. And yet scholars have wondered if there's a little bit more to the second one. Because you see, Jesus is a king, and we are very outmatched. And, and people, like, we will not defeat him. And he's, he has come for war. Don't mistake it. He has come to, to war against your shame and against your regret. To war against all that is evil and broken in our world. To war against all of the competing loyalties that daily lead us to astray. And so a battle is coming. But there is an offer of peace on the table. And so, yeah, the cost of surrender is high. The cost of defeat is so much higher. Jesus is going to cost you, but not following him. It'll cost you so much more. I mean, like like we said, right? Following him will cost you your loyalty to others. But think about that for a second. Isn't that kind of a relief? Because you and I both know our loyalty to others, it will never, it will never satisfy. It won't do it. Like even, even think about the loyalty to family. Listen, I love my family. But if they are my hope, if they are everything that I'm living for, like, my kids are going to leave one day. And one day, either I'm going to go to Kelly's funeral or she is going to go to mine. And if she has been my hope, where, where will we be then? And not just even in family, but like even with our broader relationships, like to ask them to carry the weight of all of my, my loyalty. Like it's just, it's not fair to them. And like, it's not good for me because they're, they're going to disappoint. They're imperfect. Like people change and movements change. Cultures change. Ideologies change. If you are loyal to them, you will be tossed around on the waves of whatever anyone else thinks. There will be no anchor in your life. and You'll be miserable. But maybe, maybe you're like, well, yeah, but I'm not loyal to others. I'm only loyal to me, right? I, I, I get saying that, but I want to say, first of all, no, you're not. Uh, the people around you have incredible influence in your life. Uh, no one lives outside of the context of others. And, and the culture around you continues to, to press in on you, okay? I, but let's, let's just, for the sake of argument, say, yeah, I'm, you're only loyal to you. Like, even if that were true, listen, you'll have to do it all on your own, on your own to figure out the best life. You have to go through every one of your desires and decide which ones are good for me and should be pursued and which ones are going to destroy me and, and should, be, should be avoided, right? Because our desires are constantly at war within one another, within ourselves. 
and you can't even keep your own rules. I mean, your loyalty to self is exhausting because it's all up to you. You have to find the good life. You have to go figure it out on your, on your own. You'll never be satisfied. You'll be tossed around by every impulse within you, or worse, you will be satisfied. You'll become smug, arrogant, and self-righteous. But Jesus offers to set us free from our tyranny to trying to please others and the tyranny we have of trying to please ourselves. Following him will cost, but not following him costs us so much more. And you'll end up fighting a war we cannot win with a God who loves you and who longs for you to surrender, unconditional surrender, and who welcomes us in not as slaves and not merely even as subjects, but as daughters and sons. I think of it a little bit like, like marriage. And I'm not saying marriage is a, a battle. That's not, that's not what I'm getting at. And I realize not everybody's experience of marriage is the same as my own. Because I, I can say for me personally, I married the most incredible person on the planet. I'm not saying that, like, that's not flattery. Like, I truly believe that. My wife is absolutely amazing. But being married to Kelly has come at a cost. And she knows this, right? It's not a, this is not a dig at her, but it's come, it's come at a cost, right? You know that marriage comes at a cost. So like, for example, it's cost me dating. I can't do that anymore. And if you, you know, if you like awkward, romantically tense, job-like interviews on a Friday night, great, right? But that, I can't do that anymore. Like, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do that. It's cost me that. And it's cost me my freedom, my, my marriage to Kelly. Like, I can't, there are times I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, but I can't anymore. I have to remember, oh yeah, there's this other human that's connected into my life, right? There is a cost that comes with marriage. But as a result, for me, like I have, I have somebody on this planet who knows me sometimes better than I know myself and loves me anyway. My, my greatest companion, my closest friend, the one, the one who, who's, who's there for me and with me. Yeah, the price has been high, but come on. It's absolutely been worth it. How much more knowing that you have a heavenly father who, who wants you so badly that he came to this earth to get you, to pursue you, who chases after you, who gave up his own life to, to give you freedom, who came out of the ground alive to give you life, who gives us his spirit so that we can actually begin to live this kind of life in forgiveness when we fail, and a hope that one day all things will be made new. Yeah, church, the cost of following Jesus is high. But is it? Let's pray. Father, I pray that even now you would receive our surrender. That we would give everything that we have, everything that we, that we hold dear to, all of our loyalties, both the ones to ourselves and uh, to, to others, that we would surrender them to you. And that in so doing, you would, you would give us joy, you would give us life, you would give us, that you would fill these, these unfinished mansions. That you give us joy in your presence. And even now as we come to your table, would you meet with us? Would this be a table, a meal of peace and of celebration of all that you've done for us? We pray this in Christ's name.
Well, if you're a follower of Jesus and have the communion elements, now would be a great time for you to participate with us. If you need a moment, just go ahead and pause it and go grab those things. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Similarly, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. And now together, church, even in the places in which we are right now in this moment, we get to come once again, surrendering our lives, our hearts, our affections, and our loyalties to the God who made us and loves us. Whenever you're ready, take and eat.